0: This podcast
1: is shareable.
2: I'm going to go on, on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is shareable. The show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. My guest today is Tom Singer. Tom was a phenomenal guest. You're going to love this episode. He's a professional speaker and master of ceremonies, or MC, as it's otherwise known. He's talked with over 700 audiences. uh, At least that's what I've read. Uh, He's also the host of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast, where we've spoken with over 350 different entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and business leaders. And he's really fascinated with understanding the gap between potential and results, and it uh, it really comes through in this conversation uh, that I had with Tom today. Uh, he's been a growth leadership speaker since 2009. He's an author of 12 books. Like I said, he's got the podcast. He's known as the conference catalyst. I mean, the guy is absolutely awesome, and I think you're going to love this episode of Shareable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shareable. I'm really happy to have you here in 2019, and 2019, so far for Shareable, for me, has been just an absolute joy. I have amazing people that have already been on, I have amazing people booked, and I have an amazing person right here with me today, Tom Singer, welcome to Shareable.
1: Hey, hey, Jeff, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, so first question, uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: Uh, I want to fly like Superman.
2: Interesting. Flying is always an interesting one to me because it says, uh, it's people that want to get places, but they want to enjoy the adventure of it and they don't want to wait in lines.
1: Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, if I could just take off and be somewhere, then that, that takes care of everything. And, and I always say that the the real secret to being able to travel a lot is free lodging, but free lodging isn't a superpower. So the travel, that way I could at least get there for free.
2: Expand on that. What do you mean that that's the secret, like free lodging? So do you so mean that you get paid by your speakers, uh, whoever brings you in, they pay the travel fees, but you, you pocket them and you stay with somebody?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. So my, uh, my daughter is a college senior and she and her fiance are going to spend spring break in London. And my first response was, do I give you too much allowance? <laughs> how, in the heck, how in the heck are you going to London for spring break? And she said, Thomas's aunt and uncle live there and we're gonna go and stay with them. And so, what the answer is, is they got, you know, a couple reasonably priced plane flights and they're gonna stay with his aunt and uncle, which take care of, you know, there's no hotel bills and then a lot of like the little snacky meals like breakfast and things like that. So therefore they can afford as college students to do the trip. Uh, Also last year, my wife spent eight days in Rome and my wife's aunt is a nun. And so my wife was able to stay at the residence where her aunt lives. And she did the whole trip. I used a free ticket because I travel so much. I used a free ticket to get her to Rome. She spent eight days and only spent like
2: $500. That's amazing. It's, it's like if you combine all of the points you acquire with credit card miles or, or um, I'm also signed up for this. Um, there's this app called If This Then That, I'm sure you've heard of. But there's a thing on there for flight deals. So I get these notifications. They'll be like $280 round trip to Hong Kong. And I'm like, what? And if you combine that with free lodging, you know, you can yeah. see a lot of the world, I bet.
1: Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's now that we're about to be empty nesters, it's easier to ask your friends, Hey, can we, we're going to come to Toronto. Can we stay with you? You know, when you got a bunch of kids in tow, you can't do that. So then you got to, you run a house and you got to do all this stuff. Now it's like, you know, we, we could find some places to stay. We could go more places.
2: Yeah. My big thing is uh, we have a dog, uh, my wife and I, so that's always the usually yeah, the biggest yeah. challenge we will be like three days from leaving. And I'm like, Oh God, who's watching the dog.
1: You're not staying in my house with your dogs.
2: So. <laughs> She's very sweet. Um, all right. Well, Tom, let's let's get to know each other a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I've uh, we're part of a, a similar community, similar circle, and I've I've looked into a lot of stuff that you're working on online. Um, but on shareable, I like to get to know about the influences in people's lives that help to kind of shape who they are. So for people that don't know who you are and uh, everything, I'm going to give a nice little intro at the beginning of the show that'll kind of catch people up to speed. But the, the summary of it, leadership, sales, marketing, keynote speaker, MC, podcast host, uh, you coach solopreneurs. Did I miss anything?
1: Uh, no, you know, I, I like to drink red wine.
2: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, and Do you have a favorite uh, varietal? Just curious.
1: Uh, you know, I like things like a, a Cabernet or a Montepulciano, something that's red and strong that'll punch you in the
2: mouth when you drink. Okay, cool, good stuff. Well, yeah. you've you've had an interesting career. I'm sure you would you would agree with that. And you've you know the fact you've done a TEDx means that obviously to to uh, those of us in the speaking community, that's that's kind of a making it moment. What are um, talk to me a little bit about somebody in your life who was, let's say, who's the most important person in your life that kind of helped shape the person that I'm talking to today.
1: Well, I think that that's a a multi answered question. I've been married for 27 years, and so you know, my wife is probably that person because I I probably wouldn't be anywhere where I am if if we hadn't built the life that we built. Uh, You know, if you go back farther, I'm one of these people. I, I talk to a lot of people who you know have problems with their parents, and I feel for that. But I really had really a really good mom and dad. They they their whole goal in their Relationship was to raise the kids and give the kids a better a better chance forward. I think they were a little bit surprised with me. They had a ten year old, a twelve year old, and a fourteen year old. I think they saw like, ah, oh, the empty nest is coming. We can get out of this. We can go travel. We can do whatever we want. Surprise! Uh, they had a fourth child, and uh, so I was really tight with my mom and dad because they were my dad retired when I was in seventh grade. Uh, my mom only worked part time as a real estate agent, so I did a lot with them and they liked to go to the beach or the mountains and they would just go, they would go with friends and they would bring me along. And so I had to learn to relate to situations that were, you know, where I was the only kid with a bunch of adults and looking back, I had a great time with my mom and dad. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, the combination of of who you spend the most time with the old saying, the five people you spend the most time with have the most influence on who you are. I definitely think that my family, both in the early stages and and then now, probably have the biggest influence uh, on me.
2: Uh, Let's unpack that a little bit because I want to, you know, um, I I agree with you. A lot of people do have these kind of tumultuous relationships with their parents that, you know, um, you kind of unpack during your therapy sessions and such. Uh, I have a great relationship with my dad. I have a decent relationship with my mom. And I think, when I look at the person I am today, I see so much of the influence of the way that my parents raised me as well. And I can see, you know, for instance, just as an example, I have somewhat of an issue with authority. It's why I kind of went the entrepreneur route. And that's totally come straight from my dad. So when you look at, you know, being tight with your parents and having that extra time with them and looking at the influence that they had on you, what are some of the attributes that have made you successful that you can tie kind of directly back to that time that you spent with them and the influence in their raising you?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I think, so my parents uh, married older, at least my dad did. My dad didn't marry, he got married in the early fifties, but he was already well into his mid thirties. And my mom was about 12 years younger than he was. Uh, but by the time I came along, my dad was 52 years old. My mom was 40. So to some extent, it was like being raised by grandparents. They were very kicked back. Uh, by the time I was a teenager, they had already raised three teenage boys. And, uh, you know, my brothers were all very different. So you had different areas of... Uh, academia, you had different areas of kind of being wild and breaking the rules. My dad always said there was nothing I was going to do that was going to surprise him. So therefore, you know, he just let it all roll off his back. I I showed up way past curfew one time and they were sitting up on the couch and I walked in the door and they go, we don't want an explanation. We don't want to have a fight. Give me the car keys and you'll get the car back when we decide you get the car back. And it was kind of like French prison. In the old days, they would sentence you uh, in France to prison. They wouldn't tell you how long you were going to stay. My dad would take the car. You wouldn't know if it was 24 hours or a month and he's just, give me the keys, go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. And my brothers tell stories about, you know, blowing curfew and my parents screaming at him. My mom had called all their friends and, you know, all this different stuff. So I think there was very much a a level-headedness, especially in my father, that really rubbed off on me. The best advice my father ever gave, and and I give this when people ask for advice, is be slow to anger and fast to forgive. My dad would always tell stories about uh, people he knew who you know, either died young or were unhappy or whatever. He goes, they were the people who got angry really fast, thought everybody was out to get them and then held a grudge for a long time. And my dad really said, you know, most of the time that people screw you over, they're not trying to screw you over. They're not even thinking about you. So don't make it about yourself. Be slow to anger, you know, get all the facts before you get real mad. And then realize that, you know, if someone's been your friend for 20 years and they do something stupid, you can probably forgive them and start, you know, start fresh, you know, at least once.
2: Yeah. And So you do a lot of speaking on topics in leadership. You know, you yourself have been a leader, you coach leaders. Um, I'm writing a book right now on leadership called The Lovable Leader. And a very good portion of the beginning of the book is about the lessons in leadership I learned from my different parenting situations. When my parents split when, they were, when I was like 10 or 11 or something like that, I had two very different leadership scenarios. And I factor that a lot into the things that I work on. Would you say that the way your parents raised you has impacted and influenced the way that you coach leaders and sort of the methodology and philosophy you've you've come about? Yeah,
1: I think that it has a, a direct influence where my father was very even keel and very much like, you know, there's nothing you're going to do that surprised me. So don't even try. Uh, my mom was was Irish. She had a little bit more of an Irish temper. So you had to be a little bit you know, uh, more there. But where my mom really shined was my mom was one of these people who really connected with people. People wanted to be around her. When my mother passed away when I was a teenager, the police officer who drove the funeral procession asked my dad, was she famous? Because I grew up in Los Angeles. And he thought maybe she had worked in Hollywood or something. And my dad was like, no, that's a weird question. And the police officer said, I've never driven a procession that was this large, except for like Hollywood, like actresses or producers or people like that. So my mom was one of these people, people wanted to be around. She was a great storyteller and you know i think that that really impacted you know sort of who i am as a storyteller and and how i do that she also really cared both my parents really cared about other people they had a huge circle of friends uh, you know my father lived to be 99 years old and had outlived everybody he had grown up with but when you really looked at who his circle of friends were he had known many of his closest friends when he was in his 80s since he had been in boy scouts so I think my parents taught me that that commitment to other people really matters. So one thing that uh, you know, I try to teach in, in leadership is, is people aren't just things that are passing through. We need to invest in people. And when you invest in people for the long run, more opportunities come your way. And so I think that's a real, real important thing. And the, I, I've only been slighted a few times in my life where uh, I might be slow to anger, but I get to angry. And usually it has to do with when somebody I really care about that I'm invested in has sort of fired me as a friend or not forgiven me for something that I didn't really do, but that in their mind, they got that way. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that my parents really brought me up that that people aren't to be thrown away. Relationships are long-term.
2: So I, it's interesting because, you know, having looked at a lot of the things that you work on and just seeing even just the way you frame the copy on your website and, and the different marketing materials you have, I can see that this influence is very strong about, um, you know, treating other people a certain way, and just all of the influences that you just spoke about about your parents. I'm curious if that your choice to go into speaking is are you, um you know, we're before we even got on, we we're talking about introverts, extroverts. you know, being a speaker is a particular thing that is really difficult for some people, terrifying to the point of not even being an option. And for other people, it comes a little bit more naturally. I'm curious if your parents were, because they had so many friends and really valued relationships, were they outgoing, gregarious type of people and that maybe rubbed off on you and helped to bring you up in a way where a career in speaking became uh, an option? Or how would you say that that those two influences of your parents kind of shaped your ability to even go into this? Because it is a really difficult thing for people.
1: So we always thought my dad was an introvert because my mom was such an extrovert. She was one of these people who always had people around. She was on the phone. She had six sisters. They were on the phone all day. My dad had one brother. If they talked every other month. They were super tight, but if they talked once a month, that was plenty. Uh, So we always thought my dad was more of an introvert. When he was 70, he was widowed. And all of a sudden, his calendar was full. He was always out going to dances. He was going bowling. He was president of the senior men's club. And what we discovered was my dad was also an extrovert, but my mom was such an extrovert that she just overshadowed it. And my dad learned to be like, okay, let her handle the social stuff because you couldn't, you couldn't both do it, I guess. And so uh, where my, wife, my wife's more of an introvert. You oftentimes see you know the introvert and the extrovert kind of pair off. I think both my parents were extroverts, but my mom was such an extrovert. That being said, neither of them were big on like uh, taking center stage as far as getting up in front of people. My father told me when I became a speaker, even when I was doing it part time, he saw a video of me giving a speech and he was, he was so impressed. He was like, where did he goes? You have to get this from your mother. And he told me about the fact that he had joined a Toastmasters club in the 1950s. And he went to his first meeting and they called on him for what we, if you've been to Toastmasters, they called on him for table topics and made him stand up in front of the group and do an impromptu three month speech, three minute speech. And it seemed like three months to him. And he said, he never went back. He went one time and he hated it so much that that was not his thing. He was a behind the scenes guy in his career. So uh, I think where the speaking thing comes from me is I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. And I always fantasized and dreamed about it. I I was very active in drama in high school. I had the lead in all the plays. I did a little bit of community theater, but I never did anything with that. I think the reason I never did anything with it is my parents were not necessarily in favor of it. I mean, they didn't do anything to discourage it, but they certainly didn't do anything to help me. And I grew up in Los Angeles. I literally grew up 14 miles from Hollywood and Vine. And I never went over to that side of town. And part of it is I, I didn't know how, and I don't, my parents weren't like saying, yeah, go check it out. And we didn't know anybody in the business. And nowadays you could Google it, you could find a coach, you could find all kinds of things. Back then, I, I just wasn't gutsy enough. I didn't have the, I didn't have the balls to go and do it. And uh, looking back, that's one of my few regrets is I didn't, when I was younger, I wasn't aggressive and went for things. So for me, being a speaker sort of fulfills that desire I had as a kid Uh, And at the same time, I now believe that you've got to go out and try things. You've got to jump in. And if you fail, so what? But I didn't know that when I was younger, or I didn't have that.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask you if if you feel like being a speaker kind of scratches that itch in a similar way that maybe being either on stage or being on screen, you know, would potentially, and, and even just, you know, your speaker reel is not your average speaker reel. Like the way that you go about kind of formulating the story it's not you know here's just clips of me speaking and you know maybe here's me narrating you really you put together a really unique take on that speaker reel
1: you know it's fascinating very few people have brought that up to me that it's a little different when i
2: sat down very different actually
1: when i sat down with the person who created it i had i asked all of the meeting planners i know what should I do? And they all said, please don't do another one where it's like a documentary where you're you know, sitting in a restaurant with a glass of wine telling your philosophy. They go, we don't care. We want to see you on stage. There should be some sort of a story arc, but we, you know, don't do the same old thing. And that's what all my, my clients told me but they didn't give me any guidance. So I hired somebody who came up with the idea of doing sort of the, the it's sort of like a little play, I guess, going on a little, the voiceover that's happening. And what's interesting is I showed it to a bunch of speakers when it was done and all, uh well, not all, but many of the people were like, no, you can't do that. You have to have, you know, you have to have this, you have to have an interview with you, you have to sit in front of a curtain, you have to do this, blah, 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 blah. And I have now asked people who've hired me, what do you think of it? And only a handful of people haven't gushed about it either in it's fine, but everybody says it's different, but I've gotten hired by a number of people who said we actually liked it because it was different, but it wasn't weird.
2: So, yeah, I I mean, I love it. And, and as someone who's, you know, like, like we said before we got started, I'm, I'm trying to kind of reboot my speaking career a little bit. So I'm looking at what everybody's doing and I look at a lot of stuff that Phil Jones does and obviously Michael Port and Scott Stratton and a lot of the people in our group. And yours was of, you know, and I've looked at probably 10 to 15 different speaker reels at this point. It's actually one of the most unique ones I've seen. And I think that that actually, um, you know, gave me a little bit of freedom to say, well, like, what is, what is my style of what this might look like? So, you know, I just really appreciate you for that.
1: You made my whole day by noticing that.
2: Yeah, it's very cool, man. It's very cool. I want to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, you have a particularly unique scenario given the fact that, you know, by your admission, your your parents were a little bit older. So um, you and I are, I, I think, um, not far off in age from one another, but, you know, I grew up in the 80s and technology in the 80s was a, a thing. You know, it was uh, very analog. It was not what it is today. But I grew up in that kind of bridge generation where I'm Often explaining technology to people that are older than me and uh, you know, capable as the people that are younger than me. But my dad was pretty up on things and tried to stay current. I'm curious, your parents were a little bit older, probably meaning they're a little further removed. And I'm curious how technology played a part in your development and growth into what you're doing now. I know that obviously a lot of the things that you do now would be very difficult to do without technology, such as your mastermind and things like that. But talk to me a little bit about the impact that technology's had on your career, getting to where you're going, uh, where you are now and where you're going.
1: So I'm at the high end of Generation X. So I'm, you know, I, I was born in the 60s. I came of age in the early 80s. And so technology was just sort of coming around. But my, my dad, you know, I wanted to get a computer when I was in high school and you know this is probably you know pre-Macintosh this is probably like the Apple Lisa and you know I shopped around I had friends uh two friends who were very into computers their parents were both programmers back when you programmed with cards uh and so I knew a little bit about it I was interested in it and my dad was like ah it's too expensive people this is dumb You, you never use this and it's I always look back thinking well he was not necessarily a visionary uh we had a rotor we were the last people to have a rotary phone um my dad had a black and we had a black and white TV till I was like six, you know, which would have made it like 1972 or something like that. So uh, my parents were not adopters of technology. But if you think about it, my dad was born in 1914. And he died in 2013. So in those 99, almost 100 years, he saw more change in technology than any humans. And so towards the end, I used to ask him about the changes in technology. And, you know, he used a computer to check his stocks, and he, he thought the whole internet was Google. He used to refer to the internet as the Google, but uh, he wasn't an early adopter. But I asked him about the changes in people, and his comment was, people haven't changed at all. And I'm like, yeah, they have. I'm having all these examples. I'm talking about all the millennial generational speakers that are out there making millions of dollars talking about that. He goes, bah. He goes, that's because people fall for that stuff. He goes, the reality is, is people are still the same the way you're wired inside. He goes, go read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you're going to see stories about lust and greed. You're going to see stories about marriages that worked and marriages that didn't. You're going to see stories about different types of relationships and alternative lifestyles. You're going to see stories about famine and war. He said, you're going to see stories about leaders, political leaders that were adored and cheered, and you're going to see stories about political leaders who were booed and and protested against. He said, does that sound familiar? It's the same stories we have today that are playing out in our world. He goes, so don't fall for the stuff that people are different. He goes, the tools we use to communicate have changed. And he goes, they used to change every decade or two. And he started talking about, you know, he
2: was a kid when his parents got the first phone on the block. People would come to...
1: TV was going to change everything. It was going to ruin the next generation. It was going to do all this stuff. And then, you know, from TV, then we went to, you know, whatever it was, then we have the internet. And my dad said that the technology changes, but the people don't change. It's just tools. And he goes, now it's changing every two years. And, you know, I've always kind of held on to that, that he was not an early adopter. And I kind of, I've got an iPhone 10. I kind of go out and get all the new toys because I need them as part of my work. I film a lot of videos. So having a better iPhone was important this year. Um, you know, I have to have a computer with a good camera in it so I can zoom and record things like this. My father wasn't an early adopter, but he understood that technology was a tool and you only needed the tool if you needed the tool. And at his age, he didn't need all the bells and whistles. He didn't ever get a cell phone because he didn't need it.
2: It's really interesting uh, because I, I, there's a video on YouTube by, have you ever heard of the show, Adam Ruins Everything?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got, a uh, twenty-one-year-old and a seventeen-year-old, so okay, they, they, they keep me up on shows like that.
2: Good stuff. Well, he's got a presentation he does that's called "There's No Such Thing as Millennials," and he basically goes back and he shows that throughout time, there's been this conversation of oh, young people are lazy and narcissistic, and it's been going back to like the days of being the ancient Greeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's I think there's a lot to be said for. The technology changes, but the people don't. Our brains are still, you know, three parts. There's still the amygdala. We're still fight or flight. Should I kill it? Should I mate with it?
1: Well, the the big thing I heard in, in years ago was that the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. Suburbs are going to die because millennials do not want to live in golf course neighborhoods out in the suburbs. So fast forward to today, every house that sells in my neighborhood, I mean, every single house sells to like a 32, 35 year old couple with a couple babies. Every single one. So the fact is, is the young people don't want to move to the suburbs until they do want to move to the suburbs. Uh, I think the best example of that is New York city. If you look at New York, the best and brightest in law and finance and business have always gone to New York for like the last four generations and they're young and they're drinking beer in the bars late at night down in, you know, uh, in Soho or wherever they are. And they're like, we're never leaving Manhattan. They get married, have two kids and a dog and they buy a house in Connecticut. And that's happened for generations. And so, you know, it's easy to say, oh, this young generation, they're so, they're so different until they're not.
2: It's funny. I I might be one of the, the the last people planting the flag for city living. My my wife definitely is a 50-50, stay in the city, move to the suburbs. And I'm just I'm like, you will drag me from this city kicking and screaming. Do you have kids. No, not yet. And I know that that's I know that that's a, a game changer, but I really would love to li- raise we're, my we're kids. About in to,
1: we're we're about to jettison the kids. And I'm like, I wish I could afford, I, you know, the, 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 cost doesn't make any sense, but I look at these high rises downtown. I'm like, yeah, I would go, you know, if I could buy a million dollar condo in downtown Austin, I'd be in it tomorrow, but I can't afford to buy a million dollar condo.
2: Yeah. That's intense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing right now. Let's focus on some of the projects that you have going on. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about your podcast, "Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do." I just listened to an episode on your sales tips for 2019. Uh, definitely, it's an interesting and eclectic series of guests you have on there. Everyone, everything from minimalism to, uh, you know, the sales tips to it's kind of all over the place. Give us the the quick pitch for that so people that are interested can can know what you talk about.
1: So one of the things I've become that I've learned in my years is that success leaves clues. So I started doing this podcast four and a half years ago, so that I could interview entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. I mean, I'm I'm a one-man shop. And so I interview a lot of people who are more successful than I am, but who are really one-man shows or or small businesses. But I also interview uh, CEOs and people who've grown companies to hundreds of employees, because I think along the lines when you look at it is, you get a nugget here, an idea there, a theory from that person. So it's it's all over the map, the types of people I interview. Uh, And I've been doing two interviews a week for four years, uh, at the start of 2019, I started doing a solo show on Tuesdays where I'm talking about something that's going on in my business or something that I've learned through you know, the clients I get to work with and things like that. And then on Thursdays, I'm doing interviews. And uh, the people who've been listening a while, my interviews, I'm starting to get uh, sort of my groove after 400 episodes where I'm really prying a little bit more and peeling back that onion to get to the core. But then these Tuesday episodes are me sort of sharing what's going on. And I'm really honest. I talk about, just blew that sale. You know, what What can I learn from it? And And people like the fact that it's just, it's real transparency. It's not me out there being like, I'm so great, you know, sign up to be me. But it's, you know, this entrepreneurial life is a journey. It's bumpy. And uh, I like to share the ups, but also the downs. So I call it cool things entrepreneurs do. I only interview people who are actually doing things in their business. I I get a lot of inquiries from people who have just started a company and they want to get some PR. So they want to be on my podcast and they go, yeah, I launched the company this month. And I'm like, it's not cool things entrepreneurs want to do. It's cool things entrepreneurs do. Call me in a year.
2: I want to, I want to peel back the layers on that a little bit, because you said something uh, really interesting. I think for one, the, the phrase success leaves clues is brilliant. And I don't think
1: me. I made that, I don't think I made that up, but I believe it.
2: Well, you should look into that because if you did, you should trademark it. But the, <laughs> the, the point being is, I, I, I mean, I love this. I know that there's like, Tim Ferriss has tools of Titans and, you know, a lot of people kind of go back and retrospective, look at the guests and they pull out all the different insights. Um, but I, I want to actually talk to you a little bit about, um, your the solo episodes you're doing because you said something really interesting. You talked about sharing not just su- your successes but also your failures and putting out potentially things that make you feel vulnerable. And there's been a lot of talk, obviously, ever since Brene Brown's TEDx about vulnerability, but how important that is. And at the same time, you're also a storyteller. It's something that's central to the work that you do. I recently saw a post online from a marketer who uh, I won't name by name, but uh, I generally like a lot of the things that this marketer talks about. But They posted something out there essentially uh, along the lines of, at the end of the day, your customers don't actually really care all that much about your story. They don't care where you came from. They don't care about where you messed up. They care about themselves more than anything else. And I think that there's some truth to that. But um, given the fact that you put out into the world, not just what you do well, but also where you failed and uh, you put your vulnerabilities on the table. And then even more so there's uh, for people that have not gone to your website yet, if they go to their, your website, they're going to find a couple of really interesting things that you put out there. And by the way, I'm stealing one of these things. Uh, I made a note of it, but you have a section on your website called what I believe, and it's what I believe about speakers and conferences. And I absolutely adore it. I think that it's absolutely brilliant. You've got things on there. I believe that you're, uh, event is important. I believe a speaker should educate and inspire. And it's this long list of things that you believe. And for me, as someone who's trying to get to know you prior to our podcast, I found that really helped me to get a sense of who you are as a person and feel uh, a sense of connection. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this idea of we're, as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, potentially even as a company, How important do you think it is to actually talk about what it is that you believe, who you are, your mission, your why, as Simon Sinek would say, versus this idea that at the end of the day, customer just cares about themselves and what you mean to them?
1: Well, you know, there's you 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 open up a lot of packages there that need to be un, un unpackaged. And one thing you talk about the unnamed marketer who says at the end of the day, people don't care. I actually disagree with that. I do agree that people do care about themselves. Let's face it. In you know, I teach people networking skills and I say, you know, the, the biggest misnomer we have is memorize an elevator pitch. Because if you meet somebody and flick a switch in your back and go, hi, my name's Tom Singer, I have a podcast, I've written 12 books, I speak all over the country, nobody gives a shit. They care about themselves. So start with questions. So I know what they're saying, but oftentimes marketers and bloggers and people like that, they they take things too far to make their point or to get the headline or the clickbait. This time of year in January, there's all these things that setting goals is bullshit. Well, you know what? No, it's not. But that gets someone who doesn't like to set goals to click on your link, then you've just scored what you wanted. So I, I disagree with the fact that they don't care about you. I agree that they do care about themselves probably more, but I think that we live in a world where so many people who have, like you and me, we have podcasts, we're speakers, you know, we have, you know, careers we're, we're, chasing that attention and we have to you know if people don't know who i am they can't consider me to be their keynote speaker or their master of ceremonies for their event the only way i can get the business is if i make the short list the only way i'm going to make the short list is either if someone tells them about me or if i wave my flag enough times that they see it so we do live in a world where people like oh look at me look at me but there are a lot of people out there who say never talk about the bad stuff so you bring up my my sales goals for 2019. I talk about the fact that I missed my sales goals for 2018. Now, I didn't have a crappy year, I didn't go bankrupt, I didn't do nothing, but it wasn't what I had planned for and it was my first down year in 10 years. Now, it wasn't drastically down, you know, I don't have to sell a car, but it was it was a sad year for me because I'm a goal setter and I don't always hit them, but I missed this one. So, I got a call from somebody who you might know because we run in some overlapping groups. Or When I say a call, I mean an email or a text. It was an email. But uh, I got connected to or, or, or contacted by somebody who said, I listened to your podcast. I don't think you should do that. I think as a speaker and an expert, you need to put yourself out there as always two steps ahead of everybody else. And now he's a little bit more of a, of a, of a speaker who has, he's more of what you'd call like what I call the guru class. There's people who follow them like, ooh, ah but he was like, never talk about anything like that. And it just, I I wrote back and said, I, you know, I appreciate your advice because you know, anybody who makes a lot more money than me, success leaves clues. I believe that I'm going to watch, but I also think I, I can't, I can't go through this life. I can't go through this, this world of having a podcast and being a speaker if I have to remember what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. So, you know, you asked me before we did the show, is there anything off limits? Not really. I'll share I'll share. I'm shareable. I mean, I could have shareable tattooed on my arm if it wasn't your brand. Um, but but I, I think that people want to know you're a person. So when I started my speaking career, I had a closing story, kind of a signature story about how we found the doctor that saved my daughter's life. And I still tell that story. My TED Talk opens with this story. And for the TED Talk, it's it's perfect. It's it's like the perfect story. But in the corporate world, people said, hmm, that story's a little heavy. I don't know that you should be telling it at corporate events. Fast forward 10 years, I get hired because people say, you're the guy who told that story about your daughter and her surgery. You know, I, I I had to call such and such who hired you four years ago and say, who was the person with the daughter? I want you at my conference. So some people said, oh, that story, it's too personal. It's a little sad. You can't tell that in a corporate environment. Fast forward 10 years, I think my career was built on that story. So- uh, I think yeah. I think audiences want us to be human. I think they want us to have some vulnerability. Now, you don't want your whole speech to be oh, is me. Here's my sadness. But I think that if all you do is go, look at how great I am. I'm you know I'm working four hours a week and I've got all these girls and I've got all these cars and I've got all these airplanes. I think pe- regular people get exhausted.
2: I think the the point is about making choices, right? So to, to the point of the person that contacted you and said oh, don't share that thing because you know it, it, it might not present you in the best light. The choice that that person made was that in the way that they present themselves, what they're comfortable with is presenting this particular polished version of the story. And I think what I'm getting from you is, is that you wouldn't feel necessarily comfortable telling a story and, and having to remember, so to speak, the, the things that you chose to share and not share instead of just saying, like, hey, I'm just going to be open and share what it is. And the people that that resonates with, to your point of the the person who latched onto the story about your daughter, they appreciated that authenticity. That that was the tribe that you were meant to speak to.
1: And you know what? There are tens of thousands of opportunities to speak at companies and associations every single year. I only need 50. So if some people say, ah, he's too aw shucks, I'm just a regular guy, then I'm not supposed to speak at their conference, you know, because I just need 50 people to say, hey, that's the dude we want to come speak at our conference.
2: I love it. I love it. Tom, you are such an interesting person. Uh, and I'm sure since you would be willing to tattoo shareable on your arm, I'm not saying you should do it. You should probably talk to your wife about it first, but that you probably have a lot of things to share. I want to take you through a couple uh, kind of rapid fire-ish type questions so that you could share with us some of the, uh, the success leaves clues uh, from your brain. So I'm going to ask you a I'm couple of strapping on things. my seatbelt. All right, here we go. So what's one book that every person should read?
1: The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey.
2: Excellent. Uh, What is your favorite podcast? You can't say your own, you can't say shareable.
1: Uh, Growth Now Movement with Justin Shank.
2: Okay. Uh, What is a TV show, movie, or documentary, or YouTube video, any sort of a thing that somebody could watch? What's one thing that somebody should watch to still change their life aside from your TED Talk?
1: (laughs) Oh damn it I was going to say my TED talk actually that hadn't crossed my mind. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there's like 100 million things that come to mind. I, one. I think Brené Brown's original TEDx Houston talk is is really good. I think not just from the standpoint of what she talks about, about vulnerability, you brought it up. So that's why it's in the front of my mind. But actually when I coach people on speaking, especially like lawyers and accountants who aren't necessarily, they, they, they don't feel like they should be speaking, but they have to. I always make them watch Brene Brown's Ted talk because I say, look here, she was a teacher. She's a professor. So she gets up in front of classes, but she almost canceled TEDx because she did it when TEDx was new. So nobody even knew what she had no idea. I mean, she, there wasn't a dream that, oh, I'm going to go give this talk and it's going to make me a $40,000 a speech speaker with you know a billion bestsellers. She just went and did this talk. She almost backed out of it because she didn't want to do it. It wasn't her thing to get up and talk about her research in that way. And I said, if you watch it, it's such a natural speech of somebody who is a little more introverted. That's not their thing, but who pushed themselves through it and did a great job. And so I think that, yeah, it's funny that she was being vulnerable, talking about vulnerability. You could take the content out, go watch her as a speaker. And you can go watch her now and she's, you know, given thousands of speeches. She's much more poised and polished. If you go watch that original TEDx Houston talk, I think you can learn a lot about being a regular person and putting yourself out there.
2: I love it. It's actually, um, I showed that video to I'm Accountable For at our agency, our client strategy team. So these are the people that directly interface with our clients most frequently. And I actually make it a kind of required watching that they watch the talk on vulnerability because I think that unless you can really empathize with your client and you can understand and use vulnerability as a tool there to be able to create connection, then you're not going to be a very effective account manager, client strategist, et cetera, as as well as internal communication. So I'm hundred percent behind that one. Uh, What is one application mobile or desktop that everyone should go download? Uh, I have a new rule that you can't say Evernote because it is, obviously one of the greatest applications of all time. But what's something that you use all the time that's something different, unique that somebody should go download?
1: All right, so this one is for anyone who has to give a presentation. It's called Nightstand, N-I-G-H-T-S-T-A-N-D. And you click on Nightstand, and it actually pulls up. I'm showing, they're not going to see the video. You, I can see you. Awesome, you can see that's me. good, I'll take you'll, it. You'll see it. it oh, now it's not happening. It pulls up a clock that has like, right now it says, 12 12 because that's what time it is and it's in large print on your iphone but your phone never goes to black screen so because the one thing as a speaker you don't want to be doing is looking at your watch and you don't want to be touching your phone to see the time but if they don't have a clock in the room or a countdown clock in front of the stage you need a way to keep on time because i'll tell you what going over more than about 90 seconds as a speaker is being a thief i am huge about You know, you can have a couple minutes leeway, but like some speakers go like 12 minutes over and they go, oh, I didn't know. Well, you know what? Nightstand would allow you to know because you set your iPhone down on a table and it's right there and your phone never goes to black screen.
2: I love it. I love it. I try to always end my talks a little bit under, leave them wanting more. It's sort of like a tasting menu at a French restaurant. (laughs) Uh, What's the one big lesson you wish you learned earlier in your career?
1: Go for it. Try new things. So I actually sell shirts now that say try new things because that's since I turned 50, I made a promise I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And part of that was I was going to stop being a wimp and talking myself out of adventures and out of things that would push the envelope for my career. And so try new things. It's, it's part of what I speak about, but it's like, it's, it's, I live it every day for the last two and a half years. Uh, I wish I had been that way at
2: 20. So I'm assuming you only wear Nikes. Just do it. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, All right. Only two more. Uh, What's the most important skill of the future?
1: Being able to communicate with people in a face-to-face way, whether it's on stage or one-to-one, real human communications matter more now than ever.
2: Excellent. I completely agree with you. And then finally, this is the big piece of advice you're going to drop for everybody, and it's super important, so I want you to take a second to think about it if you need it. What is one thing that everybody listening to this episode should go and do today?
1: I can't say buy a Try New Things t-shirt. No, uh (laughs)
2: You can, but but I think you have something bigger inside.
1: You know, I think everyone listening to this should go and find a way to connect with people beyond likes, links, shares, and follows. I think we have to get back. I've proclaimed 2019 is the year of human engagement about getting back to basics. Pick up the phone and make a call. I know that if you're 23, you're like, what, my phone actually connects to voices? But actually call somebody, go to a networking event, talk to somebody, call up a friend or a former coworker or your old mentor and say, I want to buy you a drink or something and get face-to-face with people. At least, you know, two times a week, you should be engaging in some sort of face-to-face, you know, you can call it networking or you can call it whatever you want. But if you're not really engaging with people, then opportunities are going to fly past you and go to somebody else.
2: 100% agree. And I think one of the things that's embedded in that lesson is, I think real the thing about a phone call or a face-to-face is that it it trains your brain on real-time communication because so much of our communication nowadays because of technology is asynchronous. We can send a voice text to somebody and then they can respond to it six minutes later. Or you can, you know, you can send a text message or you can post something on Twitter. But it's not, it's not like we're having a dialogue back and forth. And I think your brain has to be trained somewhat to be able to engage in that real-time back and forth. So, I'm 100% behind that. It's a great one. So,
1: I, I mentor two gentlemen who are both about 28, 29 years old. And, you know, one of the things that they're seeing is, is as they're pushing 30, some of their friends are, and one of them actually are excelling in their career, like, and other people aren't. And I said, let's unpackage who are the three most successful people you went to college with who are kicking ass in whatever career they're in, whether it's money or fame or whatever it is. And in all cases, the common denominator across the board that we came up with was these were people who were really good at relating to people, helping people, serving people, being on boards, volunteering their time, playing golf with their boss, whatever it was, it all came back to that human to human connection. And I'm, so I, you know, I mentor them. I go, Oh, so that's the common denominator of everyone who's kicking ass. What are you doing this year?
2: Love it. Love it. Well, Tom, you've been a phenomenal guest. Uh, tell people where they can go and be social with you and where they can find out more about your work, listen to your podcast, hire you to be an MC, hire you to be a speaker, anything you want to talk about. The show is yours at this point.
1: Great. Well, do you have another half hour? Here we go. No. Uh, you can find everything about me at TomSinger.com. That's T H O M S I N G E R.com. I'm on all the social medias, Tom Singer, T H O M S I N G E R. Uh, my podcast is called "Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do." If if you like to listen to podcasts, I think you might like my show. I get I get some good feedback about it, so uh, go check out two or three episodes. Check out the interviews. Uh, anything coming out in 2019 I think is better than anything before and I think the stuff before is good too but uh, check out some of the interviews I just interviewed uh, uh, two guys it won't come out till late March but two guys who own a transportation company they're both 27 and they are just hungry entrepreneurs and we had so much fun they would never been on a podcast before and you wouldn't know it so uh, check out the interviews that I have and uh, drop me a line if you like the show
2: awesome awesome well for all of you out there listening I love that you keep coming back and listening to these episodes and spending your time with me and choosing to give me some of your ear space with my fabulous guests. Uh, This episode was uh, really just an engaging, fun time for me. I hope you had a good time, Tom. Uh, But if I had to really sum up everything that this episode was to me in one word, I guess I would say it's shareable.
0: Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at shareablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline because I don't have a website yet so go ahead call us leave a message subscribe to our list leave a rating review us on itunes tell a friend tell your mom if she's like my mom she'll love it and now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible shout out to dj quads for the use of our theme song always and a Hamitsu for the use of our outro song adventures and a big thank you to ray bueno for all of that sexy production value